The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast. Coming to you from O3C Games, my name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my two friends Chris Dow. Hardware backwards compatibility. And Minty Booth. Capable of brushing just about anything. <laughs> and we are chatting about our favourite video games. Let's do this. Announcement! Announcement! We haven't pimped this in a while, but we thought we'd let you know that we still have a website. It's o3c.games. There's loads of great content on there. There's loads of video content on there. There's streaming activity. There's let's plays. There's playthroughs. There's uh, play arounds. <laughs> Reach arounds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And you can find that on OnlyFans.com slash O3C. There's even documentary content that Chris has made about the history of video games. There's some brilliant stuff there. Genuinely, genuinely interesting. The other thing that is on our website is our articles. Loads of great stuff that we've written. We've written reviews. We've written think pieces. We've written lists. We've written pairings of video games and beer. We have. I say we. Minty has. And they're great. But we would like to extend an invitation to anybody out there who's listening who thinks that they've got good content for an article. If you've got something that you think is, is, is good, you've got a think piece, you've got something you've written that's something to do with video games, why not send it to us? Send it to us, we'll have a look. If we like it, we'll put it on the website and we'll tell the whole world that you wrote it. <laughs> you can email us at o3cpodcast at gmail.com or just find us on social media at o3c games we really look forward to reading whatever you write within reason <laughs> new this april from hyperx it's the hyperx clutch controller get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip directional pad analog sticks and shoulder buttons this versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more and pick one up online at HyperXNHP.com, Amazon, Micro Center, Target, Best Buy, and other fine retailers. So, this week we are amending our lists even further. And by us, I mean Chris. And by lists, I mean list. Chris is amending his list even further this week and I can't wait to find out what game is going in and seeing him go through the mental turmoil and emotional roller coaster that is selecting a game to leave. But before we get to that, uh, we're going to chat about what we've been playing this week. Uh, and Chris, why, why don't you kick us off? What have you played in this last week? Oh, a range, the usual range. Uh, for my quick Elden Ring update, the other day I lost 20,000 runes. Oh no. And for a split second had my first real fuck this game <laughs> moment, and, and, and switched it off in a little pissy huff. And that's probably the first time I've done that the whole time I've been playing. But I did reload it later that night. I warped somewhere else to get a change of scenery. I ended up taking down one of the invader characters at the round table hold. Oh yeah, that's a great one, that. It was a lot of fun. And, and I'm very happy to report off the back of that that at that point, suddenly the game was great again. <laughs> because it was, yeah. it was the first fight, I think, in my entire playtime where... 
I ended up feeling properly in control of what was happening. Yeah, those invader fights really are like that. They're very sort of mano a mano. Mm. Um, it is just like, it's pure. It's like your skill against their skill. Yeah. Obviously, I, I died a few times watching and learning his attack patterns because that's kind of how you how you do it. Mm-hmm. But I was making proper, rapid, tangible process until I finally beat the guy and it was a proper leathering. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really, really did boss it. Yeah. And I enjoy it. It's, it's such an odd game for me to try and articulate my feelings towards properly because it's been a very long time since I played something that is meant to challenge you. Mm. And, you know, there's games I play that are difficult, that I enjoy, like Clone Hero, for instance. But... I've already done the legwork, mm. you know, and, and for that sort of game, it's a you never forget how to ride a bike sort of skill. You know, I, I might get a bit loose over time, but a couple hours practice and I'm back to kind of where I was. But for something like Elden Ring, it's, it's all new, but, you know, I'm still persisting. And I think the main thing to take away from every one of these little updates is that I haven't given up. No, and I, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you haven't. Uh, something else I've been playing that's perhaps a little bit more like me. I had no idea at all that Yonder, the Cloudcatcher Chronicle, had received a pseudo-sequel at some point in the last year called Grow, Song of the Evertree. Song of the Evertree? Literally had no idea at all. Oh! Yeah, I saw it on the shelves of Game. And I always pick up stuff I don't recognise, like if I see a spine that I don't know the name of. And really quickly, I realised the the pedigree of its developer, mm. because it's prideful sloth who made Yonder. And then suddenly I was very excited to pick it up and take it home. Like normally I'd at least Google to see if I get it cheaper somewhere else. But it was like, nope, I'm, I'm going to buy that now and see if I enjoy it. Checking reviews on the way home, critics suggested that Grow kind of did everything that Yonder did, but with a bit more focus. Mm. And I was kind of umming and ahhing, thinking like, perhaps that's a good thing. Perhaps it's not a good thing for me. I don't really know. But to be honest, I knew that as long as the game had some granular photo mode like Yonder, I'd be sold either way. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's what I spent most of my time doing anyway. Now, I, I bought the game on the Switch again, despite it being available on stronger machines. And I have to say six or seven hours in, whilst I'm not as immediately taken as I was when I was playing Yonder, it's a really nice time again. Aww. And... The photo mode is back. <laughs> you know, that, that, that really is the kicker. The game this time, it's split into slightly different gameplay styles. Like There's three kind of pillars. So you've got the more traditional third-person exploration stuff that was in Yonder. You've then got a kind of much expanded farming and agriculture mode sort of thing, which has you tending to these little islands in the sky to bring back life to the wider world. And that also helps you generate resources as well by doing these kind of menial tasks like smashing rocks or planting seeds or watering. Just the basic harvest moon stuff, really. And then the, the third part is you kind of have like a sort of town building simulation and management as well. And each in-game day then basically asks that you tick off tasks in each of these three areas, whilst a sort of in-game reward system, much like the, the Animal Crossing Nook Miles, is giving you like treats every five minutes, it feels like, to keep you engaged as you go. There's a lot more to do in Grow than Yonder, and there's a much greater emphasis on things like it having a core story than Yonder ever managed as well. Because in that game, outside of the intro and then the final little section, you could be forgiven for forgetting there was even a central narrative. Whereas in Grow, like every time you put your character to bed, other NPCs converse about your progress and next steps and wider projections for the world. And a lot of in-game days start with the introduction of like a new character or, or goal for you to consider as you're meant to be going about your tasks. It does have a lot of good stuff though, so it's it's still got collectibles to find when you're exploring, it's still got hidden areas to uncover, it's got simple puzzle solving. Are there cats? There's no cats so far. There's, there's lots of other fuzzy creatures, but not cat finding, <laughs> which is, again, a good thing probably, because that was the weakest part of Yonder. <laughs> it's got heavy options for customization for your character, as well as the towns you're building. It's all good stuff, but there may be like almost too much to keep in mind at all times. 
uh, for me at least, because the really good stuff that I enjoyed in Yonder was the endless kind of wandering and the ability to just kind of switch off and just do your own thing. Mm. And it's much more driven. So that, that kind of freeform thing isn't quite there in the same way. The other bit that's been strange is that as each day progresses, the sort of day-night cycle, the game forces you to go to bed. <laughs> you know, something which the, the, the looping day and night cycle of Yonder never did. You could just walk through the night, through the day, through the night if you wanted to. It gives it a different identity. Like it, it gives Grow its own rhythm, I guess. You need time to sit down and, and go to sleep in a way because the currency you need for construction tasks is all generated by daily activities that need to refresh overnight, like your gardening, your town management, everything else. But it's still... A little bit annoying when you're kind of bopping around the world night falls and then suddenly the game will just fade to black and tuck you in for the evening <laughs> I, I don't enjoy that I, I want bed to be my choice <laughs> i'm an adult i can do what i like for, for anyone that's played or looked over yonder and thought oh, it seems a bit listless i think grow would probably be much more up your street yeah because it does have more to do like i said the scale of micromanagement probably places it bang in between maybe Animal Crossing on the kind of listless side and Stardew Valley on the other side mm. in, in terms of like having a tick list or having a, a very loose kind of just series of things you might fancy doing. But if it sounds like your kind of thing, I would I would recommend it. Give it a go. Like, you know, I'm sure it plays better on other platforms than the Switch, but the Switch is still the place to go for this experience, I think, because you can play it on the TV for an hour, you can take it to bed and play it for half an hour. It just, it just fits those games. Uh, and it's, you know, a big part of why I love that console so much. And presumably you might mention later, Jonathan, why you are enjoying the Steam Deck as much as you might be enjoying. <laughs> I don't know why why you would think that, uh, apart from the fact that you see every time I come online. I believe you've probably had a look at my, my playtime over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> um, I might have had a peek. I might have had a peek. I have had a wonderful time with my Steam Deck. And uh, the latest thing that I have done is complete Sekiro. No, I, I can't believe it. I Yeah, I, I did. I did. I gave up on that final boss when I played through it the first time, and for good reason, because it is really, really hard. But on about the fourth or fifth try this time, I just started to, to glimpse a possibility that I could do it. <laughs> there was a particular dodge I was pulling off with consistency through one move that this guy was doing, that was like, I can get a hit in there. And if I can avoid all the other attacks and just keep getting hits in there, then I've absolutely got him. <laughs> because like so much of Sekiro is, is about that. Like You use the fact that you are fast and you can fling yourself around with your grappling hook and stuff like that to avoid things. And it's then just studying attack patterns and then seeing where you can get an attack in. Sometimes, like, you know, if you can memorise an attack pattern, then you can get your parrying or, your, you know, you're your deflecting in at the right times to then massively decrease their posture. But, you know, if you don't want to do that, if you do just need to be careful, like when the boss can kill you in one hit <laughs> or when you're running really, really low on health gourds or, or anything else, then you can just start to really keep your distance and just try and find, yeah, just those tiny, tiny little little slivers of time you can just get, even if it is just one hit and it will take like 100 hits to kill him, you can do it if you're patient. And when I finally found that in the final boss... I started shaking when I realised <laughs> I could potentially do it. And it wasn't until another couple of attempts later that I then did it. And I had no resurrections left. I had no health gourds left. I had no health recovery items, which you don't really get many anyway. And I literally was one hit away from, from being killed. It was whoever gets the next hit 
wins the day. <laughs> <laughs> and I realised that, you know, in terms of the game, if he got the next hit, I was going to suffer a lot more than this bundle of code was uh, if I didn't get it. <laughs> and I did. And I did. And I managed to get it. And uh, I had the most insane adrenaline rush. I was physically shaking for a good half hour afterwards. I genuinely had to have a Horlicks <laughs> and some mild sedatives. Uh, to bring me back down, like genuinely, because like literally, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able to start a new game plus straight away. Oh, you're mad! <laughs> now that I know that the final boss isn't impossible, it gave me the confidence to just yeah get straight back in there. And there's there's a few different endings to the game uh, that you can get, and I'm really interested to see what they are. Like you do get the perk of being better equipped and stronger when you restart the game, but it's not quite the same level that you get in like a Dark Souls game. And that's because your general vitality level in Sekiro, which dictates like your health and your posture, that basically caps out after one playthrough. So even though you can continue to boost your attack power, like uh, incrementally on New Game Pluses, the enemies that now hit harder, they're doing so against the same health bar that you had from your first playthrough. So it is, it is like, it, well, it's a real challenge. And, and like with any sort of these Souls games, like, you know, you take your eye off the ball against the weakest enemy and they can they can destroy you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know this now. You know this now. Yep. <laughs> and there's even, like, there's even a few bosses that, like, I leathered the first time round that this time round are, are giving me a lot more trouble than they did. And even though, like, I know their movement patterns and I know that, they're much less forgiving. Like, when, if I do get it wrong or they catch me out, like, that will take off, like, a whole health bar. Then I'm in real trouble. And the ending that I'm going for on this playthrough means that you have to go on this, like, side quest that then contains two other bosses, which I've never fought. And one of those is meant to be as hard as the final boss. Oh, uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not massively thrilled that I'm going to be doing that for the first time on New Game Plus, but I am really looking forward to doing that extra stuff because I didn't know that was even in the game. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just so fun to play. I will say it's definitely the most linear of the From Software games, and it's also the most straightforward and upfront in terms of its storytelling. I mean, there's still not a huge amount of cutscenes in the game, but there's probably more than all of the other games put together. But it's still not cutscene-driven like, you know, Assassin's Creed or something else shit <laughs> but, but there's also like loads of lore that's not immediately evident and it's just such a deeply beautiful world and the dialogue that is in the game of which there there is more of than you would get in say dark souls or bloodborne it's so good and the characters are really good and it's just a fascinating world and fascinating concepts and this world is where well, it's a fantasized version of a real time in Japanese history that then combines myth and legend and all kinds of brilliant fantastical flair. It's just it's just it's just really nice. It's like it feels grounded in history in a way that obviously Dark Souls isn't, but it still, you know, makes the most of the incredible creative talent that there are at From Software in terms of designing characters and monsters and worlds and bosses and dragons. Like I love how the game takes place over the course of a single day, pretty much. So as you progress through the game, the light will change from morning through to night. <laughs> and it's just so deeply atmospheric when you've gotten through like a, a big boss and then you like might be inside a, a big pagoda or underground or something. And then the next time you sort of come out to the surface or you come back to like a scenic spot and the lights change and you can tell like the day's progressing and it's getting later. Oh, like when the sun starts to set and it's just it's just 
gorgeous. And then when it turns to night and you've got like the final conflict happening and like there's fires starting up that are lighting up the night sky, it's just stunning. And I love how removed it is from the typical From Software formula. And I've got a much bigger appreciation of that departure now that I've played all the other Soulsborne games, which do all stick very close to each other in terms of gameplay. And I really, really hope that, you know, they do take similar risks going forward with future games, even though, obviously, I haven't got a bad word to say about Elden Ring, but Elden Ring is exactly the same as Dark Souls 1, 2, 3, and to a lesser extent Bloodborne, but Bloodborne is still very much in the same same sort of vein. I do hope that From Software, like, maybe intersperse the classic Souls games with more games like Sekiro that take things in a, you know, in a different direction while still obviously sharing the same core DNA. I just really wish I could play Bloodborne on my Steam Deck yeah. because the Steam Deck is such a great fit for these games. The pickup and playability of the machine coupled with the, you know, the power it has to, to give you a fairly undiluted experience. That's the reason why I've been able to put so many hours into Sekiro and Elden Ring on it because it is just pick it up, play, even if it is just five minutes whilst I'm waiting for something to, to load or save or render when I'm working, you know, it is just bam, just do a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bits add up. What have you got? Big bits. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's worth mentioning how many hours of big bits have you have you accrued over the last fortnight? Well, I mean, I, I you know, what? I did, I did Elden Ring in 60 hours and I've put in, I think my first playthrough of Sekiro was 30 hours and now I'm about... 10 hours into the next playthrough um i'm, I'm getting my money's worth from the steam deck yeah. i must say <laughs> i reckon i finally got a retro arch set up uh, with some emulation stuff i am looking forward to diving into my archive of uh, of older games to revisit some but it's 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 the netflix problem in it it's this just too it's too much yeah it's too much completely completely like i've played like the first like five minutes of about 10 games you know it is definitely a problem like even with the the launch box setup that i i put on my emulation station thing for my laptop yeah having that much visually helps because it kind of you can see things a bit more yeah. than i would before when i was just looking at a rom list of just names but there there is definitely still that problem that i'll, I'll go through and then the stuff i end up playing is stuff that i've already played because i i recognize the box art it's like a warm yeah. hug it's yeah. like why not put an hour into Fancy Star Online again. Why not go back to that on the Dreamcast for no reason at all? <laughs> it's just because it's something I know. Something I like, something I know. Yeah, exactly. Um, when I've got, you know, 80,000 other games that I could be choosing. Yeah, exactly. The first thing I loaded up was Jurassic Park on the Game Boy. Naturally. And, uh, and that was great. <laughs> and then next thing I did, Pokemon Crystal. I was like, what? <laughs> why, why, even, why even try? Why even try to do anything anything other than, than those things? It's just, yeah, it doesn't get better. Uh, I've mapped uh, fast forward and rewind buttons to the shoulder buttons on the Steam Deck as well. So, uh, which is really like fast forward is great for obviously playing like certainly Game Boy RPGs, which are really slow and those early Pokemon games are obviously quite slow and clunky. So that's nice to have the fast forward button. But I did also play a little bit of Asterix on the Master System, which uh, is a, a game that you know I've got very fond memories of, but it is very unforgiving. So uh, yeah, being able to rewind that uh, means I might actually finish that game, which would be fun. So uh, stay tuned. It's got good music. Lovely music in that game. Yeah, it's really, really good. I've, I told you the story about how I um, went back to my wife's childhood home and she had to sort through some stuff in the loft one thing that she had in a in an old cardboard box was a copy of asterix on the master system it's lovely which uh which is which is great and i've got that copy sat on my shelf because i don't have any of my 
Master System stuff anymore. I think we probably traded it in when we got our Saturn when we were children. Yeah. Or uh, something like that. Gave, gave it away. Gave it away to a lesser family. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we say, isn't it? When we give it to charity. Yeah. <laughs> If only my funds or possessions could go to a lesser family. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's, I mean, literally, it's how hand-me-downs worked in my family. Like, my big brothers would say, oh, can you can you, can you, you give this to a lesser son? <laughs> <laughs> Minty, what have you played this week? So I might sound a little out of breath. And that's because uh, before we started recording, I went for a run. <gasps> with your, with your, did you go on a Digimon run? Digimon run. I did. Yes, yes. So now that I know how this thing works, um, I've been plowing through the uh, the Digivolution tree in the DIM card that came with it, which I believe is called Impulse City, which gives you, as as we spoke about last week, it, it gives you a little tree of uh, of horrible chartreuse coloured <laughs> Digimon. But today, uh, at about half past ten. I did get to the uh, to the final stage, the mega level, and got a Kazuchimon, who is a mega Digimon that digivolved after training its body and spirit to the utmost limit under an unfathomably strict regimen. Mm. It looks like it belongs in Sekiro, um, to be honest. <laughs> it's got swords. Uh, need I go on? That, that's your character design document there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's all Sekiro is. So I've put my Kazuchimon on the companion app on my phone. Now that I have used it to beat adventure mode on the vital bracelet, which has unlocked a, not a secret Digimon, but I guess the final Digimon that you unlock on this card. I've got a little, I've got got a little fuzzy fella on my vital bracelet, which I'm going to try and get to digivolve into that secret fella. Well, by the time that we record next week, when you get to ultimate level, it takes 24 hours. And in that time, you've got to get so many, uh, so many trophies. You've got to do so many hours of exercise. You've got to win so many battles. What I didn't realise was that if you miss the requirements to have your Digimon digivolve in the time frame, the number of trophies that a Digimon has uh, resets, which I was mighty sore about. Well, I imagine. To be honest with you, both emotionally and physically, because uh, <laughs> a lot more running. Yeah, yeah, a lot more running. You could boil an egg on his thigh. <laughs> yeah, cook some bacon wrapped around my ankle for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm not physically very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh but yeah, so I've got my mega level Digimon in my companion app. I'm using it to do tournaments and the and the raid battles, which which are commonplace in these sort of um, monster trainer apps. And I've got a little fuzzy Bibimon in my watch that I'm going to take down another branch of the family tree. And I got an email earlier today saying that a couple more of my cards had been shipped. So oh, lovely! I hopefully have a decent bit of this Digimon family tree ticked off by the time I actually get a card with Digimon that I like in it. Yeah. What else have I been doing? I have been playing more Rune Factory 5. Oh, how are you getting on with that shit? How's the farm? Mm, yeah. Uh, I didn't realise that this is the first 3D Rune Factory game. And after playing it for how long have I been playing it now? About 40 hours? It, it definitely is a first 3D game in a series, <laughs> for sure. Now that I've put a decent chunk of time in it, I'm happy to say I'm a little disappointed with such things as the performance issues. Some of the things like uh, like designing a room or placing furniture, a little bit janky, because instead of like allowing you to go into sort of a planning mode, 
you have to pick up every bit of furniture and place it down as your character. Oh. It's fucking horrible. I hate it. That's annoying. Yeah, really annoying. That's like, yeah, like old school Animal Crossing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, manually pushing it around. Like a prick. Yeah, but it's not on a grid. Oh, so God. Like, yeah, everything's sort of off by a couple of degrees. Oh. <laughs> oh, I feel sick. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not great. But it's still it's still deep. It's still got a good bit of complexity to it. It's like I didn't buy this game to design and decorate a room. Like I don't buy these kind of games to do that. I just put down all the furniture that I can get in a room so that I can get to it. Like, I'm not an interior <laughs> designer. As long as I can get to it and use it to cook a fish that I've just caught or chop up a cucumber that I've grown in my pasture on my arable land, Uh, then, yeah, I'm happy. I have started to watch a few little YouTube tutorials as well for some tips and tricks, um, which has opened up a whole new realm of of things. I've now got a cow and a chicken. Lovely. uh, A sheep and, like, some sort of weird like pig-headed goblin man who works my field for me hey i've got a name <laughs> hey, no. hey hey i think his name is like goblin or gremlin or something it's like problem yeah I, I just went out into the first area and captured a monster to try and see if i could actually make it work and i could instead of like capturing them with like a net or something you just go up to them and just give them a brush oh. you brush them for like 15 times and that calms them down, that soothes them. And then you start giving them like presents. And if you give them enough of things that they like, then they will join you. So, yeah, I've just been wandering around the field, brushing things that I come across and just giving them weeds that I've picked up from my fields <coughs> and hoping that that's enough to actually get them to come back to to my farm. And the goblin, and with very low standards, <laughs> said, a, a brush and a weed is good with me. Yeah, yeah. Goblin. Yeah, it's just, I just gave him... Gave him a dandelion stem. So, yeah, there you go. I've also started taking villagers on adventures to to bring up their friendship level, and I've neglected to do this, which means that they are all so flimsy. <laughs> they they come away from the battlefield like wet paper. They crumple. They tear. Oh. But they 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 level up about fourteen hundred times a minute, which is very satisfying. Which is a scarlet thread in this game, I think. Just the constant skill ups and level ups. It's, mm, yeah, it's just microdosing happiness, really. Mm. Watching those numbers go up and hearing your character go, "All right, I'm better at fucking bathing. I got a level up in <laughs> bathing." All of these silly stat ups, they, they they give you like stat boosts. I think bathing increases like your health or something. Sleeping increases your vitality. Walking ups regeneration and all that sort of thing so they they do have benefits but it is silly just like running from one area to the other it's oh i got a level up in walking brilliant so yeah i i think i might i might have my fill of this trade it back in and maybe not downgrade but pick up the legacy choice of rune factory 4 which i believe got ported to the switch to see if uh if the 2d version is um is any better but that said yeah i'm still having a great time with it mm. it's, it's, it's all i've been playing um not not really played much this week because of all this fucking exercising I've been doing. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. Keeping fit and keeping farm. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Let us move on to the main feature, which is Chris's Amendment. Chris, what game are you putting into your list this week, and what game are you taking out? Well, I mentioned the other week about the sort of rare games that I can play where I am unaware that time is passing, because I was using that as the the opposite of Elden Ring, where I'm hyper-conscious that time is passing. Forager is one of those games, and oh. Forager is the game that is going on my list today. What oh, a great, great game. Oh, okay, my Minty, are you bracing your list as well for this? Ooh. Do you know what? <laughs> mm. Ooh. Well. Because I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> now, whilst you think if uh, this merits consideration for, for you two, I bought a copy of this game for the coach trip home from the wedding of Mr. Jonathan A. Dunn. And I played it on that coach for at least six hours straight. And then every time I turned on my Switch for the next few weeks, I would routinely put another couple of hours in until I'd beaten it. Maybe, I don't know, 30 or so hours down the line. A year or so later, when the long overdue content updates finally migrated from the PC version to the console version of Forager, I wiped my save and then did it all again. Plus probably 10 more hours on top this time for the extra stuff that had been added. I know you were both fans of this thing. Obviously, you've both just cooed as I've brought it up. Mm. But for anyone listening currently shrugging their shoulders, who maybe didn't listen when we were playing this kind of a couple years back on the show, Forager is essentially an, an idle game, I guess, that you play actively. <laughs> you know, it's it's a top-down pixel art thing that at a glance could be any number of other action RPGs or, or farming games, really. You know, you could reduce it down to being a bit like a sort of 2D Minecraft a bit like a kind of top-down Terraria. You could say it's got elements of something like Stardew Valley, but it has a very different play loop to any of those because it's tied so heavily to those elements you'd normally associate with idle games. So yes, you do have RPG-style character levelling and progression as, as well as direct character control, which is different, but you're also working almost constantly towards automation and resource attrition and, and crafting loops that end up turning 10 of X into 5 of Y into 1 of Z sort of thing. And what I think it does really well is that you begin Forager and it's all about hard labour. So you're manually mining everything, you're holding the button down, you're going swish, 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 you're collecting your wares, you're letting things respawn, and then you're going again. And that in itself is pretty satisfying. But naturally, an hour or so in, you're thinking, oh, this is going to get a little bit tedious if this is all I'm doing. But the game is really clever to then say, okay, well, now you can build some buildings that are going to mine some of these areas automatically. Or you can build a factory that's going to take these resources and produce tools and, and items and other stuff that, that you need that's going to make it a bit quicker. And then when that starts to feel a little slow, you start to unlock bots that will do some of the mining and collection for you and fly around the map alongside your character. And that loop in itself is, is really satisfying. The pacing is really strong. It's, it's a good loop. But again, if that was all there was to do, it would be no better than the 250 different idle games currently installed on Minty's new phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as an example, like years back, I played Clicker Heroes and, and I loved that game for the first four or five hours when I was kind of quite actively clicking, upgrading, thinking about what I was doing. And then once I got the hang of it and saw that it was just going to be build yourself up, restart, build up a little bit more, restart. That's the point I lost interest. Like I, I needed something else to do other than just clicking and upgrading in order to hold my attention. And what Forager does incredibly well is that it quite casually reveals at the beginning that it's also got dungeons and it's also got some, some cryptic puzzles and it's also got some little combat challenges and it's also got a museum to fill with stuff. And it's also got a humongous skills tree to conquer and quite a big map to expand and, and Lord knows what else, which means that 
there's never more than a few minutes of time when you're not actively working towards an objective or goal. By the late game, it's not uncommon to be juggling multiple tasks in your head at once, but in a, in a nice way <laughs> that makes you feel like you're making progress all the time. Because you, you might be turning over a puzzle in the back of your head whilst you're digging up the ground to try and find some rare gems to complete a fetch quest for someone. Whilst that's going on, you might have some sentry drones kind of mincing through some enemies that are raising your XP, which is going to help you unlock a permanent boost that will mean your factories are going to churn out some leather or ingots or something or just a little bit faster. Or you could be waiting for a windmill to pump out some animal feed because the feed... You can shove it down the moors of your cows and chickens and they're going to do a little poo. And that little poo is going to be used to create some landfill that's going to let you build a bridge to a new island, like a new destination, another new challenge. It's just, it's very, very giving. And and all of this stuff is happening whilst, like I mentioned, you might be digging up the map like a madman, harvesting rare gems to put in a totem somewhere that might give you a chest. The chest might give you a skill orb. That skill orb might have uh, you know enough XP in it for you to level up. And then a level up might let you have another persistent upgrade that's going to do something better, make your windmills turn faster. And then suddenly you're making this animal feed quicker and your, your fecal alchemics are <laughs> ticking over that much faster. Someone's had a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time, like the, the whole time, as I mentioned, you've got that little puzzle turning over in the back of your head as well, that you've, you've written a note on your phone to kind of go back and think if you can solve it yet. And it's just, it's really, really engaging front to back. And I think it's, it's a remarkable achievement of distraction and concurrent quests and oblique puzzles all at once. It's all going at all times. But there's just such a beautiful simplicity in, in the way that all these systems are interacting. And across those hours and hours I played, whether on the coach for that kind of opening six hours that I put into it then, or the time that I was spending at home past then, it was always engaging. Just it felt like the perfect amount of things to do at all times. I like it very, very much. <laughs> and and if anything, like thinking about this today and, and writing down some notes and really considering it, extolling the strengths of a game like Forager, that for me is a real 10 out of 10 experience. It makes me reflect more on how the loops of something like Grow, that I mentioned at the start of the show, a game that I'm still obviously enjoying very much, but it's it's rougher around the edges. It's got lots of ambition, but it doesn't quite hold up as well because the pieces just don't interlock quite as smoothly as I think they do in Forager. Even though, you know, at a cursory glance, it's quite a similar experience. You're doing different things, you're expanding a map, you're finding bits and pieces, you're, you're collecting resources and everything else. But it just doesn't quite go in. Like when you buy one of those off-brand puzzles and kind of <laughs> the edge of each little corner... Just has like a little splinter where you're like, I think it goes there. But equally, it's like, but it but it might not. <laughs> and I think it's a bit of that. So yeah, it's it's not quite as good. But Forager is, is fantastic. And so it's got to go in the list somewhere. And it gets harder every time. <laughs> it really gets harder every time. And it pains me to do it this time. But Dynamite Heady on the Mega Drive is going to get the chop. It is an outstanding Mega Drive action game by Treasure. But so is Gunstar Heroes. And given the choice of playing just one, there's no contest for me. I played both of these in the last week just to kind of like weigh it up and think, are they different enough? Are they kind of, are they too similar? Like I'm basically just desperately trying to find things to take out now because I, I'm playing these games that I know are better and yet I can't get rid of Bomber Raid. <laughs> <laughs> so Dynamite Heady is good, but Gunstar is, is more fun. It's more immediate. It's more punchy. I do really like the, the sort of gimmicky stuff in Dynamite Heady. It's got a lot of odd and experimental bits and levels and stages. It's got fantastic bosses. It's got lovely set pieces for kind of a humble 16-bit machine. But Gunstar is Treasure's first real effort on the Mega Drive. It's just such an achievement and statement of intent for everything they'd go on to do. And I think it earns its place more. And like I mentioned, if I'm going to go back to one, that's the one I enjoy most. I think Forager is going to go in 
around the mid-40s. I've earmarked it as being just above Diddy Kong Racing on my list for now. There's no real rhyme or reason to that placement as the two games have fuck all in common, <laughs> but I'm happy to, to whack it in there for the time being at least. I think by the end of this season, we are going to have quite a lot of upheaval yeah. <laughs> as we really reflect on how, how to make these lists, at least temporarily, more definitive. Yeah. But for now, I think that area is where I'd like Forager to end up. So it's, it's going to sit there, even if something like Diddy Kong might, might drop down a few numbers when I come to actually reappraise the whole thing. Forager is just a really great time killer. Yeah, play it on whatever you can. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's got a mobile port. I'm sure that would be a good place to play it as well. Just something to kind of play for a little bit here and there. And then uh, just see those numbers go up. We just like numbers going up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can get it on mobile. It's six ninety nine on the uh, on the App Store. There we go. Bargain. Bargain. Yeah. I, 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 I did really enjoy it. I didn't quite get that experience that you got from it. And I don't, I don't know why. And I can't quite remember uh, playing it. Um, so <laughs> it was a game and it happened. And, and that's that. It was a game that I played. I've enjoyed idle games before. And, and something like a premium idle game, like something like Forager, which has obviously got a bit more activeness than idleness in it, is very, very good. Oh, I'm tempted to get it on, on my phone, even though I've got it on... I've got it. I've got it. I've probably got it. Oh, and I've got it on everything. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good place for it. If, if you enjoy playing games on a phone, I can imagine this would work well as something to kind of just pick away at each evening. It's downloading now. <laughs> of course it is. Of course. Uh, <laughs> God. The power. The power that I have on this show. I'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely lording it over you. It's just any time it's like... Tell you what, Jonathan, I think you might want to check this game out. And then you just hear the cash register ping in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's this really good game, actually. It's called Chris's Bank Account. If you can just pop $19.99 in there, you can have, you can have a good time. I mean, that's basically it, isn't it? <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. Minty, how did you get on with Forager? You loved it, didn't you? Love Forager. Yes, yes. Uh, I think, yeah, I think... It, the word that I picked up on in your appraisal, Chris, is the word giving. Yeah. What a wonderful word that is to just sum up this entire game. Like, you start off, it quickly spirals out of control, doesn't it? Just yeah. The amount yeah. of stuff that you have. And and you can be very happy just sort of attacking sheep, planting flowers and that sort of thing. From, from what I remember playing, making the buildings, you're never outside of uh, a little characters giving you side quests or anything you're never pushed to do anything like this you're never pushed to actually open up the menu at any point really no. um so to sort of have all of these huge buildings like your lighthouses your forges your void portals and all the rest of it just just there and waiting for you to discover without anything um pushing you towards it no no checklist no no side quest bar or anything like that it's it, it's remarkable it's it's a giving game that you can take from at your own pace. What I quite like is, you know, like an episode of How It's Made, where you see kind of something go through a whole factory process. Mm. By by the end of Forager, when you really have things set up properly, everything is kind of timed perfectly to be that, okay, when that factory is going to kick out that item, it'll be just in time for it to almost be immediately picked up by the next one to then go into this next item. And, and that kind of routine of just going from A to B to C and then you getting good stuff at the end of it, whatever you're kind of saving up or trying to generate a big number of, it's just very satisfying. And then whilst that's going on in the background, you have kind of that, that passive satisfaction whilst you are just an absolute war machine, just like tanking through the world, yeah, ripping things yeah. to pieces and just digging up tens of thousands of items simultaneously. 
it's you know you, you talk about kind of the the constant level ups in rune factory by the end of forager the sidebar of the screen is just endless notifications <laughs> of just stuff you've picked up and harvested uh, to the point where i know when you were playing it minty your, your switch was like wheezing it was <laughs> wheezing yeah. under the weight of it. <laughs> it dropped about three frames per minute but there's, there's something really nice about that as well yeah playing forager <laughs> <laughs> the power well there we go i will uh i'll have a play of this and i'll let you know how i'm getting on good so there we go that was another amendment it was chris's amendment and it was forager it's a good game <laughs> it's a good game it's a really good game have you played forager tell us if you have tell us what you thought of it how much do you love it you can talk to us about anything you want really o3c games that is what we are at on everything. Or you can check out our website, o3c.games. Read, watch, listen, love. You can also support us on there. You can go to o3c.games support, and there's a link to our Patreon page. You can donate some stuff to us. We'd really appreciate that. It helps us keep the show going, helps grow the podcast as well, and uh, and, and just and, and makes us feel good about investing our time and energy and blood and sweat and tears. A couple of quid a month, We'd really appreciate it. If you don't want to donate long-term, fine. O3C.game slash support also has a one-off PayPal donation link. If you just want to throw us a few quid to say, why don't you get a coffee on us? Or, uh, here you go. Here is a pound for every episode you've made. (laughs) That'd be great. Yes, please. Yes, please. (laughs) If everyone could just agree to do that. We'd be laughing. We'd be very happy about that. I'll buy you both a Steam Deck. (laughs) <laughs> yes please the listeners aren't getting anything out of that but you'll hear our smiles bigger every week <laughs> if you want to chat to us individually you can also do that I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn I am at Chaz underscore Hodges and I'm Clement underscore Boo and please do join us next time when I will be amending my list even further yes you will and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor SequelCast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt bradley Shurgi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Superhero stuff you should know! Go deeper than you've gone before into your favorite comic book films, storylines, and characters. Superhero stuff you should know. I'm part of the HyperX Podcast Network. <laughs> New this April from HyperX. It's the HyperX Clutch Controller. Get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip, directional pad, analog sticks, and shoulder buttons. This versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more, pick up one online at HyperX and HP.com, Amazon, Micro Center, Target, Best Buy, many other fine retailers, probably in the UK as well. Hopefully, I don't know. Have a look. <laughs>